0: Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support for this podcast comes from another podcast, The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for Season 2 of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Gregorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected, with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. So, we have to talk about Twitter, right? Elon Musk bought it, he's making all these changes... He's taking this tiresome right-wing heel turn. He's publishing all these internal conversations about content moderation, which mostly reveal that content moderation decisions are quite complicated, especially when stakes are high. Surprise. But I gotta tell you that talking about Twitter in a vacuum seems wrong. Limiting It's a tiny frame when the reality is much bigger. There are lots of other social networks and community-based products, and they all have basically the same problems. Some are technical. You have to run the service at scale. Some are political. You have to comply with various laws and platform regulations around the world. And some are social. In fact, most of them are social. You have to get millions of users to post for free, while making sure that what they post is good stuff and not bad stuff. Then you have to decide what bad stuff really crosses the line and have a process for taking that stuff down. Now, if you're a Decoder listener, you know that the entire point of the show is asking lots of CEOs the same questions about the problems they all face. Once you realize the problems are the same, your brain kind of unlocks and you can spend your time thinking about the trade-offs that come with the various solutions. So that's all to say, we're doing something a little different this week to try to get at the trade-offs inside of Twitter and really all social networks. First, I'm talking to Matt Mellenweg, who is the CEO of Automatic, the company that owns WordPress, the blog hosting platform, and Tumblr, the social network. Then I'm going to talk to Verge deputy editor Alex Heath, and he and I are going to break down a bunch of what Matt told me and apply it to Twitter to see what we can learn. Some quick history here. Tumblr was once a high-flying startup. Yahoo bought it in 2013 for $1.1 billion dollars. Then there was a series of corporate merger shenanigans, and Matt and Automatic ended up buying Tumblr from Verizon, of all companies, in 2019 for all of $3 million. That means Matt took over in 2019. He's been trying to reset the culture of the company and build some new revenue lines, like subscriptions, to get away from advertising. This should all sound familiar. This has not necessarily been easy. You're going to hear Matt say several times that running Tumblr is the most humbling experience of his long career in tech. And that's because solving Tumblr is more than just solving the business and technology problems. It's solving the political problems, people problems. And people problems are the biggest problems of all. One note, you're going to hear Matt and I get into it about the phrase fire in a crowded theater, which is just like a bad cliche people use when they talk about the First Amendment. It's a horrible example for a lot of reasons. The line itself is just a throwaway example in a Supreme Court case that was later overturned. We'll link to a good explainer about that whole thing in the show notes, but I got to tell you, fire in a Crowded Theater is like the perfect example of how complicated even the simple parts of speech law can be. None of this is easy. Okay, Matt Mullenweg, CEO of Tumblr, followed by Verge Deputy Editor Alex Heath. Here we go. Matt Mullenweg, you're the CEO of Automatic. You're also the CEO of Tumblr. Welcome back to Decoder.
1: It's great to be back so soon. You know, at some point you're going to have to give me like a badge or something.
2: I think you are our first repeat CEO guest inside of a year. I think because wow. you were on in March and we talked a lot about WordPress. We talked a little bit about Tumblr, but I wanted to have you back because you are one of the few people I know who has ever purchased the social network. <laughs> and it seems like a really good time to Talk about the challenges that come along with purchasing a large at scale social network with millions of passionate users. So welcome back. Thank you so much. So real, real quick, before we talk about Tumblr and buying a social network, and obviously Twitter, which is the reason that talking about buying a social network is relevant. You're the CEO of Automatic, which makes WordPress, which makes Pocket Casts, WooCommerce, which is a very popular e commerce buying solution, and obviously Tumblr. Just give the audience a really quick refresher on Automatic, what it is, how you think about the company.
1: Automatic's a holding company, which I founded 17 years ago to basically support the open web. So we do WordPress.com. You mentioned Tumblr Podcast, day one, great journaling app. You know, New Year's coming up. A lot of people like to start journaling at the start of the year. Good plug. Everything that thank you. Everything that we make, we try to make the web a better place. So we're always asking, like, how can we put users more in control? How can we align our business model more with what our customers and and users want? And open source, obviously, at the core of everything we do. WordPress is open source, GPL. We open source pocket cast we're open sourcing tumblr it's taken a while sorry i think last time i said it, (laughs) i was a little more optimistic it's just a lot of code but we'll uh, get to it i believe open source is like like a fundamental human right and it's technology that takes more and more of our lives like it's just as important as uh freedom of speech or freedom of religion or any other freedom to have the freedom to see how our software works and modifies it
2: yeah so like i said we did an entire episode with matt about automatic about all those ideas back in march If you want to dive into that stuff with Matt, go back and listen to that episode. But we're going to focus pretty narrowly on Tumblr. Like you said, Automatic is a holding company. You're the CEO of a couple of the companies inside of that holding company, notably WordPress.com and Tumblr. You only just recently bought Tumblr. It's only been a couple of years. And when you purchased it, you ran into some issues, some of which are unique to Tumblr, Some which to me just seem like the problems of owning a social network. Can you quickly kind of go through? You bought it from Verizon, which had come into owning Tumblr because Yahoo had bought Tumblr. Honestly, the parallels to Twitter seem like striking to me.
1: Also a roadmap. So since buying Tumblr, we launched payments. subscriptions <laughs> uh <laughs> we're open sourcing the algorithm like we're, we're doing a yeah. lot of things that are i think uh, are on the roadmap for twitter too but i will say that it was probably the most humbling thing in my business career we'd been running wordpress for a while at that point and wordpress powers a good chunk of all of the websites on the internet so i thought i had seen it all <laughs> But even Tumblr, which is a large-scale social network, but, you know, a fraction of the size of Facebook, for example, we started countering issues that were beyond my previous understanding of, like, content moderation and free speech and everything, which we're seeing happening in kind of real time at Twitter, where they are like, allow someone, like, yay back on and then take them off. But, like, you know, there's a huge amount of speech, which is a phrase we use is lawful but awful, that might hurt people's mental health or incite harm or be really mean, like bullying, that um yeah, it's, it's not technically illegal. And, you know, we're a private company. We could host it if we wanted, I guess. But if you think about your responsibility to society and your your users, like I think just like if you're hosting a party, it behooves you to provide a safe environment for everyone there. And food and water and restrooms and all those sorts of things. Like I feel like when you're hosting a social network It's your responsibility to provide a safe and healthy environment.
2: So, I want to get all the way there. And honestly, I want to spend most of our conversation about what those kinds of decisions are like. I think far too often the casual observer thinks they're easy. Maybe far too often Elon Musk is acting like they're easy. When in reality, anybody who has tried to make those decisions, like yourself, finds out they're extraordinarily complicated and the trade offs are bad and everyone's going to hate you. So, I want to spend a lot of time there. But I want to, Start at the start, which is you bought Tumblr. Why would you buy Tumblr?
1: Uh, Tumblr, I uh, was always WordPress's best competitor. I feel like Tumblr combined the very best parts of blogging and social networks. And in fact, innovated the form of social media, like introducing multi posts and everything. One, I was excited to kind of bring some of the fun back to blogging because I think that everyone should blog more. <laughs> but you do it. Yeah, I agree. Two, I wanted to see if we could create like a mainstream social media that wasn't reliant on surveillance capitalism or advertising as its primary business model. We run ads on Tumblr, but we also have upgrades that turn off ads and we're introducing lots of other subscriptions, some fun, some serious. And that's, yeah. You know, if we could make a subscriber a supportive thing, then we can truly be aligned. Like even if I were no longer running Automatic or Tumblr, the business model would align the users with its um, business. And then I think finally, because... I felt like we need a space on the internet for creativity and art and artist. And the other social spaces on the internet have gone different directions. You know, Twitter became a lot more about like arguing. Instagram became about like showing off. <laughs> Facebook came about like, you know, weird people we went to school with saying weird things. And Tumblr always had this like frisson, like this magic, almost like instead of a Like angry mob, it's more like uh, improv, (laughs) the comedy improv. Like there's a yes and to it. Yeah.
2: Tumblr is a collaborative group art project at scale for sure.
1: Totally. And we've seen some amazing examples of that even the last few weeks with like Goncharov and other things like that. So at at best, like, it's like, well, what if people's social media time could go to something like that? Something where that kind of put a little more of the control in the hands of users and that you'd feel good after using it. You'd feel creatively charged. And that's what we've been working on since we bought it. So, t-
2: <laughs> again, the back- I say there's parallels between the Twitter and Tumblr backstories. You know, they, they started around the same time. They both had these, like, famous young entrepreneur CEOs. And then they had these, like, administrations and changes in control and ownership. And it never seemed like anybody really understood the product that they had accidentally made. Uh. And then you have these, like, crazy valuations. So, Twitter is at a place now where Elon bought it for $44 billion. And he says he overpaid for it. Tumblr, slightly different. Yahoo bought Tumblr for $1.1 billion in 2013, and then a series of ownership changes. And then you, Automatic, bought it from Verizon for $3 million in 2019. How did you come to a price for the social network? I think this is one of those questions that, you know, we're all talking about $44 billion for Twitter, but you actually evaluated a social network, its technology, its user base, and said, you know what? This isn't a billion dollars. It's not a hundred million dollars. It's $3 million. How'd you come to that price?
1: Have you ever heard the phrase free like a puppy. (laughs) So uh, like the transaction cost for us buying Tumblr was the minimus, but it was a deal in which we took on all of its liabilities, all of its legal cases. We kept all the employees, all the cost. And Tumblr was and still is burning quite a bit of cash. So people were like, oh, you could buy an apartment in you know, New York for that, but like, you would be buying something that costs like 60 or 70 <laughs> million a year to run. So like, you're taking on all of those obligations as well. There were definitely people I think who would have paid more for Tumblr, but to Verizon's credit and the CEO Hans, he really cared for to go to a place where he felt like the community uh, would be well-stewarded. And I very much think about that. You know, I'm the third CEO of Tumblr. It's David Karp, and Jeff, myself. I'm stewarding it for the next generation. You know, I'm not going to be CEO of Tumblr forever. You know, I'm going to find someone to take it over at some point. And I hope that it's around 20, 30, 40 years from now, because like, as we can see, kids still need it. Like the, Tumblr's user base is still primarily under 25. Like it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, it fills a role on the internet, which nothing else does.
2: When you say it's de minimis, you basically are saying Verizon sold it to you for the smallest amount they could sell it to you, and you bought it for the smallest amount you would pay, knowing that its carrying costs were so high. Was that just a straight conversation? Like, hey, we're not going to figure out how much money Tumblr makes and do a multiple of revenue to come to evaluation. It's, this is bleeding cash. It needs a good home. We'll be that home. What's the smallest number your board of directors will accept?
1: I think what Verizon cared about was the employees and the user base. Mm-hmm. Which is also what Automatic cared about, and so we really oriented that internally. We budgeted about a hundred million dollars we were going to spend on Tumblr to turn it around. So oh, now it comes out. <laughs> well, uh, when you think about it, with the burn and everything, like that's yeah. so that was our calculation for it. It wasn't the three. So people made a big deal about that number, but in business, you know, that <laughs> it's too good to be true. Like you, you could yeah. buy something like that uh, for that. It was. It's more like. Um, you probably seen this as well, where there's like naval bases that you could buy really cheaply or missile silos, but then you weren't yeah. responsible for the cleanup. So we had to do a lot of cleanup when we bought Tumblr. There was a lot of hate speech on the platform. They were behind on content moderation. I think the technical infrastructure had started to degrade quite a bit. And so we've really spent the first couple of years really just rebuilding things and bringing it up to the, you know, automatics kind of a... A deep tech infrastructure company so we were able to bring it onto our infrastructure rewrite a lot of things make it faster make it more stable and also bring our experience and our values in terms of moderation and i took over a ceo in february we were just kind of rounding that corner of all the like cleanup work when all the twitter stuff started happening and uh, people started saying well maybe i need an alternative and uh particularly in the last month or so we've just seen some huge waves and droves of users Fluent celebrities like Ryan Reynolds or Linda Carter, Halsey coming over uh, or back, and uh, it's been a fun time <laughs> to be on Doubler. But I, <laughs> I like to say I tell the team, "Fortune favors the prepared." Like, there's also a lot of other places people could go, but we're ready for the waves. Like, we can handle 200 two hundred, three hundred thousand signups a day. Like, we can handle the. That's right. What's happening?
2: You bought a social network. You set a price. Now you have it. You've got to carry all the employees. You've got to re-architect the technical infrastructure, which automatic WordPress is good at. You are good at. And then there's this big moderation question. Let's start with the employees though. The first thing Elon did was he like fired everybody. That didn't seem like the first thing you wanted to do. Talk me through that. How did you evaluate what you had bought in terms of personnel?
1: Well, I think the tough thing in an acquisition and particularly turnaround is if you're buying a turnaround buying it for a reason. If it was doing well, <laughs> it wouldn't be a turnaround. So obviously some of the existing employee base has not been as successful as they or you would have hoped, which is a nice way of saying like some of them probably should be there. Yeah. Also though, we bought it because it was working. Like Tumblr, despite I would say some corporate mismanagement or misalignment of incentives, still had like this really vibrant user base. It was still growing, still... Ton of mobile, ton of young users, which was very, very interesting to us. So, how do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater? So, what we did was we brought the whole team over from day one. And then we also tried to switch a bunch of people that were kind of long tenured automaticians or people who had been automatic. And I took actually some of my very best people in the company and switched them over to just do different jobs inside of uh, Tumblr engineers, designers, etc. That sort of helped us merge our cultures. Identify low performance and sort of reshape the team for what was needed now. Because Tumblr also had a lot of attrition. They actually shared Verizon, shared a building with like uh, Facebook. And so, like, good Tumblr engineers <laughs> were getting like poached in the elevator. And <laughs> <That's laughs> this Maybe. was also the time when like there was like crazy tech comp that's kind of settled down now, but at the time it was a little wild. And so, yeah. We have remade the team, we've made the tech, and we're starting to remake the product. I'm also very excited now because now we're starting to have some fun. Like you saw the blue check mark thing, yeah. <laughs> which was fun, but we're also yeah, was like, really funny. starting to innovate on the format a bit. So now on Tumblr, for example, you can have a post which has a gallery and a video and like basically multimodal social media posting, which is kind of what blogs have done for a long time, but we're bringing it into the social media form and onto mobile. And that's fun for me because the creativity that's being expressed there is uh, more than what you could do on any other social network right now.
2: But that timeline is really interesting, right? You bought it in 2019. We're talking at the end of 2022, like the very end of 2022. And you're saying, now we're having fun. That's a long time, right, to integrate the cultures, to reset the expectations, and then to get to product innovation. Or maybe from a user perspective, it's a long time. And from your perspective, it's
1: lightning fast. Which one do you think it is? I said it earlier, I'll say it again, the most humbling thing in my business career. You know, I've, I've been doing this a while. We've done successful acquisitions yeah, yeah. before, like WooCommerce and other things. This is, has been harder than anything I've done before. And it's why I stepped in to be to run it directly in February because we weren't seeing the amount of turnaround that we had hoped for.
2: Do you think that part tracks with the Twitter timeline? He must comes in, he takes over Twitter. He's like, screw it, gigantic, sweeping culture reset, gigantic sweeping, you know, public comments about how the company was trash at every level. Do you wish you had done something like that? Do you think that would have been effective? Ah, good
1: question. Like, cause we did. It.
2: And, and by the way, just to provide you cover for this answer, there's a part of me as a leader that's like, maybe sometimes I should just run around saying everything's trash and reset it. Like there's something I think every leader finds tempting in this way of working. I think most people are not, maniacal. I am not, I could, I would, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I did this to my team, but there's something that if you're in any leadership position is there's something appealing about, Oh man, I wish I could just sweep, clear the deck. When I worked at another large company, which shall remain nameless and I was much younger and meaner. I'd be like, I wonder if I could just fire half the people on this floor and anyone would even know uh-huh. right? Like there's something about a big company that engenders that kind of thinking. So now that I've provided you cover, <laughs> do you think that you should have done something more drastic? You
1: know, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to, to play it back again. About 85% of the team is new on Tumblr or was not uh, there at the acquisition. So that is a pretty big switch. Now that it happened over a couple of years and some of it was natural attrition, some of it was performance management, but it, I think that each company is unique and each situation is unique. For us, one of our concerns is definitely the burn that Tumblr has, like how much cash it's uh, burning over what it makes every month. For Twitter, I mean, the deal where he paid so much, set the price, then the market crashed, then there was a whole lawsuit to force him to buy it. And he's got this huge debt load creates, I imagine a whole other different set of constraints that, you know, whether they're saying like a billion a year in debt service, interest payments, and like that are tough combined with advertisers leaving, like that's that's a pickle. <laughs> I do not envy <laughs> their position. Our position right now is actually interesting because as we were approaching the end of this year, I think I said this in, in March, we were kind of at a pivot point. where We were like, well, do we need to take uh, Tumblr into a smaller team? Which for us would have meant not layoffs, but just switching people to other divisions at Automatic that are all profitable, basically, <laughs> except for Tumblr. <laughs> and so saying like, hey, you know, some of these folks go work on WooCommerce, some of it go work on our enterprise VIP, some of it work on WordPress.com. And take tumblr down to like 50 or 60 people or something which the business could support but it can't support 200 right now but actually thanks to the twitter stuff all of our investors are now like wow you look really smart for doing tumblr (laughs) you're spending way less (laughs) and it's it's the metrics are looking really good we've definitely gotten waves of users and advertisers coming over saying like hey we want an alternative like we disagree with some principles or some things that musk has said or done can we come spend money with you which is great and then also something I've just never seen in my business career, which is um, the talent exodus. When a company does a layoff, the company's intention, let's say Stripe laid off 15, 16%, uh, which was surprising because Stripe is you know, kind of a golden child. You assume that they try to do that as a performance management. Like they try to take the folks who they considered to be low performers. I would guess that Twitter was probably going to do a layoff Yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. I definitely heard this is well. probably not as big as it was. And, and not as sloppy, but I'm sure they were going to because every other tech company has. Now, Stripe will make mistakes there as an example. Like, so you could assume that some percentage of the people they laid off that they considered low performers were actually quite good, but you would be maybe cautious to hire out of that layoff, right? If we were targeting that, we would assume that these were the folks that Stripe wasn't like, these are crucial people we need to keep. With Twitter, both in the initial kind of cuts And then folks who left afterwards because they disagreed with some of the public statements, the Paul Pelosi tweet or whatever it was, you have lifers. Like what I would call, you hear about people talk about missionaries versus mercenaries in companies. Like there's folks at companies that are just core to the culture. They've created the tech. They know it in and out. And you never let those people go. (laughs) You do whatever you can to keep them. (laughs) I think in part of the... The fog of war, perhaps, of that Twitter acquisition, knowing they had to make these big cuts, they let some of those people go, which then also caused other people to leave. So, every single other tech company, including us, who was like, we're slowing down hiring, has really reached out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be happy to hire 50 or 100 people after Twitter when we publicly have said, we'll we'll hire entire teams, even. You know, those conversations have been quite intense over the past few weeks, including some executives helping us navigate, you know, the 5,000 people who left that we're now in mode where, well, let's see if we could create an amazing machine learning AI team inside Automatic from some of the folks who left Twitter. So that's, it's been a kind of an odd shift. And again, I've never seen anything like that in my business career.
2: You know, it's funny. I feel like we, you and I have come up after those moments in tech history, right? Like Intel was created because a team of people left Fairchild Semiconductor, yeah. and now Intel exists, and we think of it as an institution, and it feels like maybe we're living through that moment again as tech companies have these gigantic layoffs where entire teams of people who like working together are available. Like the Twitter Spaces audio team that built spaces is just like, we'll come do this for you again. We just want to work together. Would you hire would you build a live audio product? Would you just like go hire that team?
1: Uh I don't know if we do a live audio product, but I think that team's quite good. And so we put up a dedicated landing page, automatic.com slash work with us slash Twitter, which was basically like a distillation of a lot of the conversations I had. The first line on the page is we love Twitter, which is true. <laughs> I also love Twitter. Yeah. You're on Twitter. Yeah. If you're hiring the missionaries, you don't do it with the like, we're going to crush Twitter message because they have poured their heart and soul into Twitter over the past however many years. They're not motivated to like kill Twitter because they also love Twitter. What I think is interesting is like, hey, could we do it again and avoid some of the mistakes? and create an alternative and actually the best way to influence twitter now for many of these folks is from the outside so by creating great competition for twitter i think twitter survives i think twitter is still around 20 years from now but i think it will be made better if there's tumblr nipping at its heels with some really excellent user experiences maybe innovating the forums just pushing the the bleeding edge i mean maybe tumblr is always a smaller but more innovative network that's that's entirely possible. And that's kind of the space it was before. Cool. Guess what? We'll make the rest of the web better. And that's also WordPress's thing. Like, I want to create a web that's fully open source. There's a lot of great proprietary competitors like Shopify, Wix, Squarespace, et cetera. We force them to open up by being the open, open alternative, much like Android kind of forces iOS to, like, you know, unclench a little bit and, like, <laughs> open up some of their, like, weird... Not allowing to change defaults and other things that they do. Android forces iOS to be better. So, you need a good nemesis in business. You need a good competitor. Otherwise, you get lazy. So, two quick questions
2: just to complete the sort of acquisition story. You said the burn when you bought it was $60 million-ish a year. Are you closer to profitability now or is that burn the same number?
1: No. Uh, <laughs> so, we brought it down, but we still, we would need to grow Tumblr's revenue by another 20 or 30 million a year to get it to break even at its current people cost. And you're thinking about hiring more people from Twitter. And we're hiring more people. Now, the more people, the good news is that one thing we're starting to do is combine some of the teams. For example, Tumblr doesn't need its own separate trust and safety in terms of service. It had one, but we actually have similar problems across all of our properties, like you know, protecting against illegal contents, responding to DMCA's really quickly, taking out hate speech. That's kind of a similar issue. So if we're able to like use some of the same backend tools to monitor every upload and other things, we can share that across. And it's not like only a Tumblr cost at that point. And so I think between WordPress.com and Tumblr, we can actually share a lot of the backend infrastructure, including, as we've said, like we want to switch Tumblr to actually be powered by WordPress. So I think of it as like two great restaurants that share the same kitchen. Like the restaurants have totally different vibes, different <laughs> user interfaces, different menus, different ki- but they'll have like the same like uh, excellence and in ingredients, same like, you know, uh, same back end essentially. Yeah. Uh,
2: this is like the food hall model for an infrastructure company.
1: A little bit, yeah. That's very good.
2: So that's one. And then two, we've talked a bunch about hiring and in, in size. You said you've had 85% turnover. Is the Tumblr team bigger or smaller than when you acquired
1: it? It's probably a little bit bigger or about the same size. And it will, I think, in the next six months, get probably about 10% bigger.
2: And this is like one of the classic decoder questions. Like, how is that team structured? Is it structured the same way as when you acquired it? Or have you reallocated some of those numbers?
1: I mean, the big changes to the structure are that I've come in as CEO. And I think just naturally because I... I'm running a lot of different things including automatic and wordpress.com separately so i am a very much uh leadership style that pushes a lot of things onto the the leads within the company so i'm not like we need to have a meeting every day with the executive team and you know blah 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 i'm more like here's the five most important things to me get them done you <laughs> know your most important things what am i missing like automatic does a lot of asynchronous communication yeah, there's a bit big changes. I brought over some, uh, and people I brought over from Automatic probably. Like, I brought over some folks to help me out, including uh, a chief operating officer and others that are, are really helping with the day to day. So, but I would say fairly standard structure other than that.
2: We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about content moderation.
1: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation, told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and, of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation –
0: State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: We're back. I have a thesis, that the central product of a social network, like the actual product is content moderation. Right. And every piece of the puzzle of a social network is trying to incentivize the people who create for you to make things that are good that you want. And then as a user, as the audience, trying to show them the best stuff on the social network. And obviously what comes along for that ride is when people post bad stuff, I want it to go away. I want to disincentivize the bad stuff in potentially harsh ways. And I definitely then don't want to show it to an audience. And that's the part we almost always focus on. But then there's the other set of incentives, which is here's what we want from you and here's what we want to show people, the positive incentives that almost always go completely unrecognized as part of the content moderation puzzle. Does that seem right to you? Is it is it fair to be that reductive and say the product people at social networks are basically making content moderation?
1: Yeah, and what was your post on this? What was the title of it? It was called Welcome to Hell, Elon. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think <laughs> I tweeted that like, I don't agree with the title uh, headline. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one, but you know. Uh, But man, it was spot on. You really nailed it. So I I just, everyone who's listening to this, go read that post because I think you hit and also linked to some of the subtleties of content moderation. Yes, and doing it at scale too. When you think about it, we have, you know, Tumblr's, it's weekly active users is larger than any US city. (laughs) So everything that happens in a city in a week can happen on a social network. And we're you know, one-tenth the size of Twitter and one-hundredth the size of Facebook. So people don't anticipate that. And you also see all the new social networks, the parlors, the gaps, even like the you know the posts or whatever, um, Substack, they, I think, all struggle with this early on. There's a learning curve, which even if you hire people, even if you know what's gonna happen, whatever user base you attract is gonna cause new types of problems. So, for example, Tumblr with a younger demographic, a lot of teenagers, maybe, you know, stereotypically a little more angsty or emo, <laughs> like mental health things are really big there. And so we, we build a lot of stuff in there that if you search for certain tags, like before we show you the tag, we'll, we'll show you like a message that says, hey, do you need help? Here's your phone number. Like it gets better. There was one thing that I learned about was uh, was called the pro-Anna community. Anna's short for anorexia. And so this was a community of folks who were using a social network in a way that's totally not illegal, but basically encouraging anorexic behaviors, which I'm not an expert in this at all. But my understanding is kind of a mental health challenge and ultimately like quite physically debilitating for people who who suffer from this. And so if you're hosting content and promoting content that's encouraging that, what are you doing to those kids, to those people, to society? And so I think, again, it's not illegal, but it is your responsibility to especially control the distribution of that, tamp it down. If people are posting it, try to provide them pointers to resources because you can't help, like we're a tech company, we can't help that. But like, there's (laughs) lots of nonprofits and people we can point people to that are actually professionals at this and just try to nudge people in the right direction. And by the way, that really works. You know, some of the untold stories that I think where tech has, made society undeniably better. I'll, I'll talk about two issues. One that has been covered a little bit is around like child exploitation material. So people who like abuse children, take pictures, etc. Tech companies have basically come together and created technological solutions and data sharing that has gotten quite good at catching this. And so then it all gets passed to law enforcement, they do their thing. So I think that's helped quite a bit. And then uh, suicide prevention. Pretty much every social network, every search engine, everyone, if you type in certain terms, will jump in and say, hey, you know, pointers to resources. And there's been a lot of sharing on, like, essentially, like, what people click more, what resources are best, how to provide a phone number, et cetera, how to do this internationally, how to do this in every language that um, I think tech companies share quite freely, including competitors share quite freely with each other. Because, like, we all agree, like, this is something that is part of our responsibility to society.
2: So those are the things where Automatic as a company has a set of internal values and you are shaping the product in line with those values. And I would, those things are horrible. I don't mean to diminish them at all, but they're universally agreed upon. Right. We should not. Yeah, it's not
1: controversial. Right. We we are not. (laughs) we,
2: We should not encourage young people, especially young women to be anorexic. That's a huge problem in that community. And we should aggressively intervene in suicidal ideation or communication, and stop it and provide resources. Those are aggressive moves, right? You're saying, we're going to stop the speech. We're going to shut it down. We're going to show up when we see this stuff, and we're going to get in your way and say, go to these resources. They're aggressive interventions, but they're not controversial. Then there's a universe of stuff that is totally controversial, where even the slightest intervention gets you in hot water. The one that I think is easiest to point to in regards to Tumblr is porn where there's a lot of art on tumblr it's it's famous for being an artistic community there's a lot of nudity on tumblr there's a lot of straight up porn on tumblr there was before there was yeah and you know i think verizon is the owner is a telecom company was like no this isn't us then there's tumblr itself which has some values which might support pushing the boundaries of allowed speech past a platform like facebook or instagram then there's Apple, which says we won't let this app on the store if it has content that we object to. Then there are credit card processors like Visa and others that say we won't support transactions for pornography. And this is stuff where the lines aren't even clear, right? Of what is porn or not, or who is qualified to say what people on platforms should be looking at besides the platform itself. Where the values inside the company might not line up with what you want users to be able to do on the platform. And then there's, 8 million external actors with influence and control and even existential control over the platform with their own values. Walk me through this, because this, I'm picking on porn, but I can pick any number of other yeah. speech areas that have the same exact problems.
1: I'll give you the TLDR. I wrote a post about this, and it was titled, Why Go Nuts, Show Nuts Doesn't Work in 2022. <laughs> so, so Go Nuts, Show Nuts was actually Tumblr's previous policy on this, on adult content. Uh, which is
2: It's very Tumblr, like the most Tumblr thing <laughs> possible. Very
1: Tumblr. Tumblr, I think, had content moderation issues. So part of why they got shut down by Apple is they were not doing a good job policing illegal content as well. So in addition to just being the porn stuff, and I think Apple also wanted to make an example. That's my guess. I wasn't there at the time. But, you know, by shutting Tumblr down and removing it from the App Store, that, including it's owned by Verizon, which is like one of Apple's largest partners in the world. <laughs> like that must have really woken everyone up to like, hey, they're taking this seriously. So I think my guess is they were trying to make an example as well. The reaction, particularly Verizon being a very conservative company that by the way, has better things to deal with. you know, are multi-hundreds, billions of revenue and other things uh, was heavy handed. And so they started manually reviewing every single post and reblog on Tumblr uh, with kind of content moderation forums in other countries. And then also applying what I would call like very faulty machine learning. So, you know, famously, someone said, like, I posted a picture of my manicure. You know, they got their nails painted. They posted a picture of their hand. And this got their account locked for being adult content. (laughs) What the algorithm was looking at was, oh, there's a lot of skin tone as a percentage of this image. Saying that that is likely adults. Now, combine that with one more thing, which was that. I think when we purchased Tumblr, they had a six month backlog on support tickets. So imagine you're an active Tumblr user. You post a picture of your manicure. Your account's locked in a really mean way, by the way. It's like you have violated blah, 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 <laughs> blah. You're locked out. And, uh, and you say, you appeal it. You say, Hey, no, this was just a picture of my hand and you don't hear back for months. <laughs> like what a perfect formula to like destroy a yeah. user base. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of where it was. Something we just changed since our last podcast was we actually reopened up uh, more adult content, specifically what we call like artistic expressions of the human form. Literally, Michelangelo's statue of David. <laughs> if you had posted that on Tumblr before, the content moderation rules would have locked the post or yeah. locked your account. <laughs> so we got we got good at appeals and everything like that, but we still have, we were stuck with these old rules. And we couldn't really change the rules until we had some better community moderation in place. So what we did was we introduced, actually Elon talked about doing this for Twitter, we introduced like a rating system. So where users can self-tag when they post something, this contains X, Y, Z. And X, Y, Z could be drugs, it could be violence, it could be human form in adult ways. Uh, we still don't allow what, jokingly, we internally call like things going into things. So like, <laughs> what or what people might call hardcore pornography or something yeah. like that is still not appropriate for the service but there is a wider aperture or overton window for what's allowed which actually matches what we've done at automatic for a long time so we were kind of unifying tumblr's position with ours it's interesting because elon talked about bringing like an MPA movie rating system um, into this which is actually where we started in the first iteration of this feature but when you get into the history of the rating system it's actually quite fraught yes if you and you you could just think about it like if you have kids like if there's like one female nipple in a movie all of a sudden it's like pg-13 or r but there can be any amount of violence and gore and blood spurting out and everything which you know obviously like is not great for kids either and that could be like a pg movie or something so we went to a, a form of classification that was a little bit more a taxonomy that was a little more nuanced and so if you sign up for Tumblr, all that stuff's off by default. You can't turn it on inside the app because of Apple. But if you go to the web, there's toggles where you can like say, I would either like to see this stuff normally, or if this loads on my feed, it's blurred out by default. The work mode, office mode. Yeah. You you're, you open your Tumblr, you're browsing through, you don't want that stuff like popping up and someone walks <laughs> by. That's, that's embarrassing for everyone involved. So... We've really thought about it from a user-centric point of view. And I think that this, and what we've seen, is that this actually aligns incentives. Because let's say you're like a burlesque performer in New York City. Bathtub gym, right? Awesome, famous burlesque place. And you want to post pictures from the performance. These are mature. You don't want kids to see these. So you can tag this. And now you know that it'll be protected. You know, folks under 18 won't even know it exists. And the people who want to see this can find it. So, like, everyone's happy. The incentives are very aligned. The violations now are not for what you post, but for tagging. So mistagging we take very seriously. It's obviously, like, that's, that's wrong. It could, it could endanger kids. It could do lots of things. But if you're tagged correctly, we, now have, we allow you to post a lot more stuff. And we've done this navigating Apple's App Store and the credit card processors and everything else.
2: So. If you flip on the toggles on the web, does that stuff show up in your feed on the iOS app? Yes. Yeah. And that complies with Apple's rules.
1: Yeah. And part of this is, you know, famously, especially when Tumblr's old policy, everyone was like, well, how do Twitter and Reddit get away with it? Because they allow everything. Things going into things, they allow pretty much anything you could find on like a Pornhub site is also on Twitter and Reddit. And so how do they get away with it? And one, maybe they're just too big. They have enough legit content. Apple wasn't really worried about it. But two, they also made these web-only toggles. So we, uh, we decided to just copy that feature.
2: And did you have to go have meetings with the app store review committees with Phil Schiller or Tim Cook to get this stuff through? Or did you just uh-huh. submit the
1: app? You no, know, or- I'm not that fancy. I- I'd love to meet Tim Cook, actually, but I never have. Uh, <laughs>
2: well, apparently you just have to tweet at him and sick a bunch of Republican Congress people at Apple on an antitrust bill and you get a meeting.
1: <laughs> that works for Elon. I don't know if it would work for me. <laughs> the app store review process is still a black box. And still capricious and you still never know what's going to happen like we're trying to launch this new feature for tumblr i'd love to announce it right now it's going to launch any day now it's been ready for weeks and like the in-app purchase was denied you know you get this weird sort of thing where like versions of the app are not approved and that's a feature which by the way is not controversial it's totally by the book we're using in-app purchases so we're not trying to skirt anything and somehow it's been held up for for weeks just with kind of back and forth on various um. Content things. I think we made a mistake in submitting the app one time where we set a toggle wrong so that then creates another week, then Thanksgiving happened. Like there's it's been um it's an odd platform. You know, most of our our tech, like you could just ship whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> you can A B test, you can put things up, take them down. In the app stores, you do have this kind of uh it goes through a person, and depending on who the person is, they might interpret the rules differently.
2: This is actually a thing I missed in the Welcome to Hell article, right? I I talked about these decisions are hard they're political decisions they're not technology decisions then you have governments like the speech laws in Germany and India are very different than the speech laws in the United States and here in the United States you know Florida and Texas have social media moderation laws that are government speech regulations probably in violation of first like it's very complicated just as a political actor and then as a tech company your distribution platform your primary distribution platform is controlled by two companies that more or less operate in lockstep when it comes to moderation issues. And they're completely opaque. And that's its the thing I miss because it's its maybe the wonkiest thing, but it strikes me is I'll disagree oh boy, I here. screwed up. Okay, go ahead.
1: Um, I would say Apple and Google's app store moderation is night and day. Yeah. With Google, you get like awesome tools where you can roll out to like percents of users and then roll it back. Everything's really fast. They allow way more stuff. Like... They're not as draconian about like forcing in-app purchases. Like it's totally different. Apple is the most powerful player in the market, especially in the U.S. They're, they are a monopoly. They, they control everything. And they're also opinionated. My interpretation of why Apple is so strict about these things is they take their responsibility to their users quite seriously. There's examples of this. So for example, like if you sign up for a New York times subscription, and you go to the New York Times, you do it on the New York Times website, you go to the New York Times website, you try to cancel, they make it really, really hard. You have to like chat with someone. It takes like 30 minutes of your time. Like it's like canceling a gym membership. They It's terrible. It's a horrible user experience. But if you subscribe to New York Times through Apple, <laughs> you can just go and click a button and cancel a subscription. And that's, I think, Apple sort of advocating on behalf of users for something that is user-friendly. Now, they have... Things we probably all agree with, like that, like canceling subscriptions. And they have a section that they do. It feels like they still think they're the underdog. Yeah. You know? oh, absolutely. Or like have an existential risk of being like snuffed out uh, any moment. And I'm excited actually, because Apple is, you know, they have more cash in their bank than most countries. Like they are one of the most powerful entities on the planet, including more than most governments. I am seeing them starting to shift into more of like a benevolent role. Yeah. And sort of realizing their size and their power
2: they're getting pushed into shifting i think by regulators and governments and scandal
1: and they're being pushed which is great like the eu the u.s is also starting to push a little bit but um i bet internally as well like there's folks who would agree with my position on these things inside of apple and so it also might just be generational as like new leaders come up through the organization perhaps that'll also shift some of their policies
2: people who didn't come up as the underdogs i mean that's like that's what you're describing most of the current executives were there when Apple is the underdog. You, you just see the culture over time. You've described taking over Tumblr as the most humbling experience. It's this stuff, right? It's the now-in-politician who is in charge of a large city or a small country. The users are doing whatever they want. All I can do is incentivize them to do good things and not bad things. And there's a host of other constituents, app stores, credit card processors, whoever, who are deeply interested in whatever I do. What do you think... Where do you have sort of authority to make decisions and what do you think the limits on that authority are? Because when you you say humbling, it seems like that's at like the heart of it, right? Is, oh, you're a politician, not a tech executive who's like, make the button blue. You're like, I hope I'm going to make a policy decision that I hope as expressed out through all these constituents will achieve the result I want.
1: Probably the best way to summarize where I am in 2022. This Mm. has evolved over the past year and the past 10 years is I'm extremely libertarian in terms of what should people should be allowed to say. By the way, I'm totally okay with things I disagree with strongly, or saying bad things about me, I'm a public figure, et cetera, like, great. <laughs> Where I think I've I've become more conservative is in bullying, hate speech, that sort of stuff. Of course, calls to violence. Calls to violence are pretty non commercial stuff. I'd say like bullying is maybe yeah. some, or trolling, maybe more in the middle. And trying to bring a little bit, if you remember like early days of Flickr, like Stuart Butterfield, Katerina Fake, Heather Champ, Derek Prozak, you know, sort of fostered such an amazing community there. Often manually by like going and commenting on new users or like choosing what they highlighted. We are trying to bring some of that idea of like community building to Tumblr. That is, I would say like 20% on the pruning out the bad stuff, like weeding a garden. It's actually 100% like gardening. And like 80% on... Encouraging the things that you want to grow to grow, and it definitely being a long-term thing. Like you need to water it every day, but the results are going to happen over months or years. And that is where we're at right now with Tumblr. Like something like the Goncharov thing, which people should—it's a Martin Scorsese film from 1973. Google it. Is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that sort of whole fun, amazing, beautiful thing, I think, is partially because we had created a space where you could have a yes and improv like environment with people riffing off each other without like a few bad actors coming in and, you know, kind of spoiling it. So I, I think we'll see a lot more stuff like that on Tumblr in the future. Actually, it, it it keeps growing. Like there's actually now, I saw a picture yesterday of some, what are those posters called in New York where they like uh, put the posters up? There's actually Gontrof posters now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like on on like walls and cities so like it just keeps going
2: <laughs> this is one of the things that i think is really interesting i think that the tumblr community is going to be very excited the ceo of tumblr is deeply aware of this i i don't know how to describe it it's it's like an improv art performance about a martin scorsese movie that may or may not exist right one of the things that people are excited about with elon taking over twitter is like the man is a he's addicted to twitter it's it's like very obvious <laughs> right he's like on twitter all day long he's all goofing He's posting memes you're obviously deeply aware of tumblr the community you're in it do you think it's important for you as the leader to be consuming the service as a member of the audience because I, I think it cuts both ways 100 yeah
1: there is a little bit where i do understand my guess is that like folks you know like a zuckerberg or Parag or like other leaders of social media they use the platforms a lot but probably just under a secret account they have an alt. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, you also need to be sensitive to like, my preferences are not the preferences I'm imposing on the entire community. It's like, I'm super liberal. I donate to all those sorts of things. Like, that's me. I'm going to be open about that. But I'm also not saying like, people who disagree with me aren't radical. So when you think about running a
2: social network at scale, and Tumblr is smaller than everyone else, but there's still at scale compared to most everything else. It seems like we over rank sort of there's a liberal bias inside of the content moderation team that must be overcome part of it. And we significantly underrank the, actually people don't want to be in a platform full of racists. Actually, very importantly, advertisers don't want to be near that content. And that's what's causing the content moderation decisions. Has that been your experience that the advertisers exert pressure on what things you allow?
1: I think there's two levels of this. One is overt pressure. So, you know, Avatar's saying, I disagree with X, Y, Z, and they leave and they take their, they vote with their wallets, which by the way, they're welcome to do. It's free market. It's capitalism. Like, yeah. That's, that's kind of the no, no, expression no, of it.
2: If you don't buy ads on Twitter, you don't support free speech. That's what I've been told.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I agree with that name and shame or whatever, but uh, the, that's, I would call like more like capitalist activism, which by the way, I think it behooves all of us to do. We should vote with our wallets and try to support companies that we agree with their principles and not spend our money with ones who don't. There's a second level though, which I think is just inherent to the business model. I talked about surveillance capitalism earlier. Sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the author who wrote the book on this, but like- Her name is uh, Shoshana Zuboff. Ah, thank you. Where like, is there something inherent to, if you think of what advertising fundamentally is, it's the business of influence. I want to- Create a desire in you. Maybe your life is, you're perfectly happy, you're content, but I'm going to create an emptiness in your life, a want, a desire that you are going to fill with my toothpaste or my (laughs) headphones or my whatever it is. That's fundamentally what advertising does. And then the intersection of that and democracy is, I think, something that we're grappling with. So if democracy says, you know, free, informed citizens are able to vote on people and vote on how they're governed. I like that model. There's a social contract, there's a principle morality to it that like, we can all agree to as participants in the system, which I think social networks miss, private companies miss, right? Like you don't necessarily vote for the policies and elect the leaders of Facebook or anything else. Now, as personalization and targeting and ML, AI gets so good, technology's ability to influence you becomes amazing and it's we're seeing this today like how good is the TikTok algorithm how good are instagram ads like gosh they know me so well (laughs) i buy more stuff off instagram than any other place uh they've got me dialed in so that now applied to political influence is playing off in both sanctioned and unsanctioned ways including actors like china iran russia you know, who are taking advantage of like our free and open society to like influence, I think, Americans. It's the whole thing like we were all worried about hacking the voting machines because that was a good story. And it's way easier to just hack the people yeah. <laughs> and influence the voters. Like, you know, the voting machines are fine. Like, just influence the voters. And that's, that's happening. It happens in every election. We know this for a fact. It's not a conspiracy. And so, how do we protect, how do we inoculate society against that when the business models of these networks are designed around? the engagement, and the, the influence, yeah. essentially.
2: Has this been an issue for you with Tumblr, that you need to serve advertisers? And you know, obviously, they're the money. You've only just rolled out some creator monetization tools, but advertisers still money. Are those revenues growing, or are you saying, gosh, this is kind of icky, we need to get away from this? You, you said a few minutes ago that advertisers are starting to come
1: to you because they're, they're leaving other platforms. Do you, do you find yourself trying to navigate that balance? We're trying to balance it. So I think that if you provide a free service, advertising is the only business model. Running a social network is incredibly expensive because you think like you sign up for web hosting, you pay money, you get a certain amount of space, a certain amount of bandwidth, all those sorts of things. There's a hard cost. You sign up for a social network, you can upload unlimited video, it can be viewed <laughs> unlimited times. Like, it's essentially like all you can eat for nothing plan, but the companies still have to pay those bills. They have to build the data centers. They have to pay for the network. They have to do all that stuff. So there's a real cost associated with it. So advertisers subsidize that. What we're trying to do is create a model where half or more of Tumblr's revenue is from subscribers. So that I think gives us the ability to not be unduly influenced by advertisers and not as much of an incentive to tune the algorithms in ways that sort of create the engagement, enragement uh, loops that emotionally charge people as much, which, by the way, is good for influence. Like if you're worked up, you're in a state that's more receptive to changing your toothpaste brand or something like that. So that's just, that's science. That's fact. It's human psychology. It's our lizard brain.
2: That's amazing. Um,
1: So we want to create a space which is much more creatively charged. We want Tumblr to be like, going to a music show or a museum. Like you go, you're gonna see some stuff that you haven't seen before. So you're gonna discover new stuff, but you're also going to leave like creatively charged. That's not a mindset which is as conducive to advertising. But I do think that we can find a set of advertisers which will fit well with that and a set of products that fit well with that. But again, Tumblr's biggest benefit right now is it has no golden handcuffs. (laughs) Like as we're creating an advertising system, we can start a little bit from zero. And so all everything new is good versus like i can't imagine the struggle of like having billions of dollars of revenue and trying to shift your advertiser base or your policies
2: especially when the advertisers are saying you have to keep moderating as much as you have been and your entire stated purpose of buying the thing is to moderate less right like I, there's a tension there that i think is really difficult like as the ceo of tumblr trying to build an advertising business do you hear from big companies explicitly like we need to we need you to measure
1: your brand safety before we show up and give you money i'd say tumblr's struggle with advertisers is actually lack of targeting some people might opt out of tumblr because they're uncomfortable with you know the younger user base the kind of like silliness of it Uh, that's fine but more i would say we can unlock a lot of revenue we just have decided not to do the tracking and targeting that everyone else does so that means more of an uphill battle to to get advertisers to spend money we're introducing some, like there's some tracking I'm, I'm totally okay with like device country, you know, that sort of stuff I think is, is very natural, but if it's both users and advertisers, but there's some like, you know, if you, if you ever, it's actually quite enlightening. Your user base could do it or your listeners could do it. Like go in and like buy an ad on Facebook or Twitter. They all have self-serve tools. The amount of targeting you could do is yeah kind of insane. Terrifying. <laughs> and by the way, All the stuff the tech companies do, the telecom companies are way worse. You can effectively, like with (laughs) Comcast or something, target to effectively like a set of like three or four houses (laughs) and serve like, you know, cable ads as just them and and then track. And then by the way, credit card companies and banks all share your financial data. So they'll correlate that with whether you spent money in the store. So like the amount of tracking is insane, the amount of uh, geo data that gets shared, I think that's the place where we need governments to actually step in because capitalism is not well self-regulating there. You've been talking a lot
2: about sort of the general problems, right? Like there's the set of problems that are Tumblr problems that are very focused on moderation. And then there's the sort of general problems of, okay, Apple's our distribution funnel and they're opaque and they feel like they have a huge responsibility to their users that sometimes gets in our way. Then there is, what is our business model? And many companies are going through it. I want to ask Drill specifically just to, to wrap this up on where you think moderation belongs in the stack. And I'll draw the distinction between WordPress.com, WordPress VIP that you have for enterprise customers where you host for WordPress for them, and Tumblr. And there's this idea that the closer you are to like the pipes of the internet, the less moderating you should do. So Comcast should not look at the bits that are going across their network. at t should not look at the bits that are going across their network. That's me, get out of my way. And then Cloudflare maybe shouldn't, right? They're an infrastructure provider that rides on top of those rails. AWS has a set of policies, like they won't host white supremacist sites. But like that's basically it, that's the whole line. And then you kind of get all the way up to, and Tumblr should directly intervene when people are talking about anorexia, which is way different than what you think about Comcast. Do you think WordPress is at a different layer of that stack Is it easier because, you know, WordPress sites are just sites and you can say, there's some stuff we won't do, but on your WordPress site, you can kind of do whatever you want on Tumblr, which is a service we run that we monetize directly with advertisers and everybody else. We have to turn the screws even tighter.
1: Yeah. And so I think you just also summarized really well. I think Ben Thompson on Stratechery wrote the framework for moderation where he sort of, I think laid this out really well. It is true that at the base layers, I think you want to defer what should be allowed or not more to governments than companies making you know, arbitrary decisions, um, unilateral decisions. And that's because governments have their checks and balances. We have courts, we have a- elections, we have all these sorts of things that say like, as part of the society, we have a feedback mechanism for these rules for like what should it be allowed to exist or not. WordPress exists in all layers. So I would say Tumblr does too. So for what should you be allowed to post, that's again a pretty open to. If it's allowed in the laws of the country, sure, let's allow it, even if I would disagree with it or consider it morally odious. But we talk about freedom of speech versus freedom of reach. Freedom of reach is, are you providing distribution to it? So, am I surfacing your post on our search pages? Am I surfacing it in the feed? Am I, like, you're sort of algorithmically providing distribution to it? I think any company which is doing that has to be more opinionated into the moderation stack. And as long as governments advocate their responsibility here, we're just going to probably disagree some or all of the time with the decisions that companies make.
2: Do you think the United States government should get involved? Like That seems to me like everyone wants someone else to solve this problem or make these decisions. And the most likely set of actors that would do that are government officials. And they shouldn't. Like, especially in this country, they should not make those rules. Like, the First Amendment says, do not make speech regulations. And so, I, I'm just like, my, my frustration- I not say that, actually. Sure, it does, right? Like, they should not make- I don't think the government should step in and make rules about content moderation. First I think Amendment maybe is the they could misunderstood. Okay, I mean, this, is, but this is, I think, the disconnect between, uh, like, just basically everyone. Your position on the First Amendment is the government should make some rules
1: well the, in fact it does so for example the common example yelling fire in a crowded theater
2: and that's a, a way horrible that creates example. like an unsafe that's not a real rule no it's not that's not a real wow uh, that was a line. that's a line of dicta world. from a case that was overturned and everyone points at it is that there's no law so, against shouting fire in a crowded theater
1: there is if you are creating harm there are laws around voluntary and infla- voluntary manslaughter there's laws around Hate speech. We have laws around certain there types laws of crimes are done in this country. There's laws if there's a crime done with a hate element, it has different sentencing than if it was done without it.
2: Sure, sure, yeah. No, I'm with you, right? But you've so, gotten all the way to you murdered someone. <laughs> like, there's no law against hate speech. You can just say that other people of other races are bad. You can just do it. You can say there you should are hate
1: in certain countries too. Brown people. So in Germany,
2: sure, in other in countries, Germany, but in this country. Here, most people are like the government should make some rules. And almost every example that I'm given, like fire in a crowded theater or whatever, is actually an example of not a rule. Right? The law in this country, the the case that overturned the fire in the crowded theater case changed the standard from you're gonna cause clear and present danger, which is fire in a crowded theater, to imminent lawless action, which is a you can shut fire in a crowded theater all you want, you are not gonna cause imminent lawless action. You're just gonna get people to get the hell out. So, like,
1: that's but what I mean. people hurt in that evacuation, then...
2: But that's not lawless. I think there
1: could be liability for whoever did that.
2: But that's, that's liability for the actual harm.
1: This is what I mean, like, I... Both civil and, and criminal. But it's not the speech so that... I, I, I get what you're saying. And it also, people also confuse, like, like, First Amendment doesn't apply to us as a company. <laughs> right. right. Because we're a private entity. We can choose who we do business with or not. And so that's also one of the most common misunderstandings. You're quite good at uh, clarifying that whenever it comes up. So why do I think government should be more involved? Because of the feedback mechanisms. Sure. The checks and balances. So for example, Germany is a good example. Germany as a society has decided because of their history, they take a firmer stance against Nazi type stuff than America does, which is kind of funny. <laughs> what <When> do you think <laughs> about it? Great. They have a society have that side that. That might change over time. By the way, the U S has had tons of horrible laws in its history. <laughs> like more bad ones than good ones, maybe. Um, and those will evolve over time. Perhaps even the First Amendment needs to evolve over time. But, but how would we change that? It would require a new amendment. Yeah. <laughs> it would require you know states to ratify it. And like there's a really high bar for changing these things. And by the way, that's a good thing. Like I think sometimes the slowness of government can be an advantage because hopefully that deliberation helps forge a better outcome. I don't think we're it's not a good example for that right now with the polarization and the way the parties fight, but like ideally, you know, they, they reach kind of a middle and um, companies don't do that. And if you look at content moderation boards and everything companies try to do, they're essentially trying to recreate government a little bit Yeah. and a private sector, which lacks accountability, lots of feedback mechanisms, lots of courts. Like it's, so it's, it's a weird system. So yeah, I kind of do wish that governments had clearer laws around this and better laws and, I also agree that when they have tried to wade into this, there have been some terrible outcomes like fosta Sesta. There's like a lot of terrible laws that have come out of government trying to regulate this stuff as well. But I remain hopeful <laughs> that <laughs> you know, as new generations of leaders come on, you know, like new generations of leaders are digital natives. Gosh, Beto O'Rourke used to be a hacker. Sort <laughs> of cold to the cow. He was I spoke to him. He, he was like, I used to be a web designer.
2: <laughs> he can't win an election to save his life though.
1: I know. but there's others who are coming up who can and just generationally as we kind of we have a definitely an issue where people are holding on the power really long yeah the 70s 80s like we we don't have anything quite like this in history this sort of gerontocracy and as that starts to shift i think that we'll start to see a more dynamic uh republic and i uh, at least that's what i'm hoping for that's who i'm donating to that's who i'm voting for that's yeah. what i as a citizen i'm trying to advocate for more of that i think um, this is as good of a so, summary
2: as the of the problem we can get to you start with, I bought Tumblr for the smallest amount of money that Verizon would sell it to me for. And you end up with, I'm hopeful for a more dynamic Republic because we need to reform the speech laws of the country. Like that seems like when you say it's the most humbling experience of your career, like that seems like the journey, right? You get to a place where I, and I, I've just heard this from so many tech executives who run networks like this. They want a more accountable external force to give them cover for moderation decisions because the pressure is so high. And then to the only actor you can think of to do that is the government. And then you run head first into the, the first amendment and you say, okay, I wish I we had think some it's
1: leaders. we At least speaking for myself, it's not that I want to be removed from the pressure or the responsibility it is I think that the responsibility and power put on me and our team is, um, beyond what is warranted by the social contract in our society or from our users. So I, I'm just like philosophically saying that, like, there's a better system for this.
2: Can you think of one that is not government speech regulations?
1: If I did, I'd have to you <laughs> Fair enough. You're and a deep th- thinker on these things. You're probably one of the best writers in the world on this.
2: Yeah, and I I'm terrified of government speech. As a journalist, my uh, my open bias is government speech regulations. Like I don't I think they're bad on their face. And I I see them in places where they work. Everyone brings up Germany, right? Like Germany has this long tortured history. They're still complicated and difficult in that country. And I think from our perspective, thousands of miles away, we're like that seems pretty good. And from the perspective of many people in Germany, like this is more complicated than you think. Then there's other countries like India where the government's like we'll put you in jail if you criticize us and that's just the end of that road right and it's i i think there's there's more danger there for our version of democracy than there is benefit i hear you on pressure and power and all these things but i th- i i think it would be better and I, maybe this is where we should really end if if all the our companies were more competitive and what they were competing for in a vibrant marketplace was experiences that were based on moderation. If we all just admitted what social networks make is content moderation, both in terms of recommendations and creator tools that incentivize you to make something. Like TikTok does not incentivize you to make text posts. It does not want them on its platform. It incentivizes you to make videos, right? There's a lot of them, but they're hacks, which is like fascinating to think about. Like the platform itself is not geared to make you post text. It's geared to make you post videos. That is a content moderation, I think. And the, the users have done something else. It's like a fascinating, like, it's, it's just a fascinating dynamic inside of that platform. Tumblr is incentivized to make you post text, right? And, and images and, like, blog. Like a, I think a blog post is a little work of art. I'm like you. I'm a blogger. <laughs> right? And Tumblr, like, incentivizes you to make that that thing. And if we would just agree, the platform should be transparent about how they are moderating and what the rules are. I we mean, would stop yelling inanely about the First Amendment as applied to private companies and have, have the platforms compete, I think we would find most people want to go places where there are not a bunch of racists and sexists and trolls. They want to go have a nice time and make art, which I think is the dream.
1: And also, is this as big a deal as we're making it out to be? So all the issues we've talked about have had quite robust public discussions, the only thing i'm certain by the way i'll say the only thing i'm certain about in content moderation is that you make mistakes yeah <laughs>
2: yeah we haven't touched that part yeah, yeah
1: and you always do so it's humans humans are fallible humans will make mistakes it's how you correct the mistakes that i think really matters we're at the center of a lot of these stories as well like the hunter biden stuff that's like laptop stuff that's now the twitter files and all the whatever that is twitter decided to remove links to the story to new york post Guess who hosts the New York Post? <laughs> we did.
2: <laughs> so, like, there's some
1: other things where we're like, well, should we should we take the story down or block the links or, you know, what should we do? And we had an internal discussion about that and decided this is the New York Post, blah, blah, blah. It maybe skirts some of these rules against like non-consensual hacked material that we have rules against, but, you know, also fits in these other rules, including being like a major tier journalism organization, public interest. And we made a decision there to not touch it.
2: Wait, so um, like WordPress VIP hosts the New York Post and the Post, puns, yeah. the Post publishes the Biden laptops. You had to have a meeting about whether to take down New York Post links.
1: There was a discussion. Yeah, absolutely. There always is a discussion. And there's reports. People contact us, say, take this down, or this is violating your policy. And all of the policies are just a starting point. The interpretation of the policies is really where i think that the art and science of it is and we will also make mistakes we've accidentally taken down blogs either by like some script that went wrong or like a human who clicked the wrong button or a human who made a mistake the interpreter of policy is incorrect. It's all about how you fix it and i think that we're in a weird period where particularly the right in america has sort of is I think it's incentivized to say that there's like a huge censorship problem or they're being suppressed or like, yes. um, Donald Trump famously like would play the victim while he was also the leader of the free world, the most powerful person in the United States, like the president <laughs> like that, I think is a shtick that I'm amazed continues to work, but is the problem actually there? Does he actually not have a platform? Is there not a robust discussion around the how to a laptop, all these other things, endless articles, endless you know, testimonies, all of this. So I'm actually, maybe we just all need to say that this is actually working right now. (laughs) And and that perhaps we should question the framing in the first place, that there's something fundamentally broken or wrong here and say that the current system uh, will make mistakes, it's not perfect, but it gets to correctness usually pretty quickly, usually within a matter of hours or days, not like weeks or months. Elon was in a bubble where he thought this was a bigger deal than it is. He bought Twitter is now kind of like, slowly recreating all the decisions Twitter's made over the past five years, <laughs> like take yeah. it off the off the platform or whatever it is. It's like, <laughs> just going to like be mistakes that get repeated. And that's how he's going to learn. But like, he's going to wind up in the same place Twitter largely was prior to him purchasing it.
2: That's actually the perfect last question. You have done this for the past few years. You bought a social network. You were like a very good tech executive when you bought Tumblr and very successful with WordPress and all the other companies. So for you to say this is the most humbling experience of your business career, I think is very meaningful. You've now done it for three years. What advice do you have for Elon Musk? let huh.
1: um, keep an open minds, which I actually believe he will do wherever I agree with him or disagree with him. I, I believe he's someone who can update his, Views when new facts come, and we've already seen that happen over the past few weeks on Twitter. I kind of fully expect him to end up kind of where the rest of us are, <laughs> <and> where Twitter <laughs> was prior to him. So I wish he could have avoided a lot of pain along there. But you know, you know the saying: "There's no atheist in foxholes." I think that there's no like free speech absolutist who runs social networks because you start to realize the nuance of of that public square and the responsibilities of users in society. And that it's a lot messier. That's why you won't hear me criticize when Facebook or Twitter or anyone else messes up because I know that we're going to mess up too. What I am looking at is how quickly they correct, not whether they are perfect because perfection is not a standard that anyone should be held to. It's how quickly do we course correct. So that's where I wanted and. Also, but just I think he's working on important things. Otherwise, I hope Twitter doesn't distract him too much from like <laughs> <laughs> the space and the cars and the solar yeah. panels and everything else. Uh, so that's awesome, Matt. Well, obviously,
2: I could talk to you for hours and hours about this stuff. I'm fascinated by the actual experience of running these companies. So thank you for coming on Decoder, and we'll see if we can set a faster record for you to come on next time in this last
1: one. <laughs> thank you. Great talking.
2: So that was my conversation with Matt Mullenweg. After the break, we're going to bring in Verge deputy editor Alex Heath. And we're going to put all this in context with what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter. We'll be right back.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
2: We're back. I'm joined by Verge Deputy Editor Alex Heath. Alex, welcome back to Decoder.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: So everyone just listened to my conversation with Matt Mullenweg, who's the CEO of Tumblr. You know, this conversation was about what it's like to buy and operate a social network. And he even said very explicitly we're doing a lot of the things that are on the roadmap for Twitter where they're doing payments they're doing subscriptions they are going to open source the algorithm. I wanted to talk to you because you have been reporting deeply on Twitter and just close the loop on some of the things you heard from Matt and some of the things you're hearing out of Elon Musk's version of Twitter. So let's just start with the app store, which I think is the most complicated, difficult to understand. And also in some cases, the easiest to understand because you just have to do whatever Apple wants. But it is like a very difficult thing for all of these companies to constantly manage. Tumblr got booted out of the App Store. Matt even said, imagine Apple kicking an app from Verizon, one of their biggest partners out of the App Store. And they did it to make an example of Tumblr and their seriousness about content moderation. Close the loop for me with Twitter. What is going on with Apple and Twitter?
3: I wish we knew more. That's the thing. Whenever Apple engages in these backroom dealings about the App Store and distribution for even an app as large as Tumblr or Twitter, we don't really know exactly what goes down unless you have someone like Matt who's willing to talk about it. And even he (laughs) kind of admitted he's not really sure exactly what goes down. Um, We know that Elon Musk met with Tim Cook at Apple's campus after he was tweeting about how Apple maybe hates free speech in America how you know they had paused or reduced spending. They were one of Twitter's, if not Twitter's, largest advertiser, which is a strange symbiotic relationship to have with your key source of distribution. Now that beef appears to be squashed, but we don't really know why. And that's kind of par for the course with Apple. It doesn't really believe in transparency when it comes to these decisions it's making about why an app should or shouldn't stay in the store fundamentally it seems
2: like the content moderation piece for Apple was not as important as it relates to Elon's Twitter is the controversy around in-app payments and 30% for Twitter blue and all this other stuff that we usually hear about. Like we have no evidence. And now Elon has even said that Tim cook told him that Apple was not actually considering pulling Twitter out of the store. Whereas with Tumblr, they actually, they did right. And Tumblr was rife with porn And Tumblr was rife with other imagery and other content that Apple didn't like. But Tumblr is like small and it was it was owned by Verizon. And like the CEO of Verizon is not going to tweet at Apple. You know, like Twitter has already skirted the rules for years in various ways. Was Elon using the front of content moderation and free speech to start the conversation about 30 percent, do you think? Because that seems like
3: the heart of it. Well, we'll know. Potentially by the time this podcast comes out, they may have relaunched Twitter Blue They're working on relaunching it as we speak. The reporting I've seen and what I've also heard is that they will try to charge more on iOS in-app for Blue than they will on the web. As far as I know, Apple doesn't usually like that. (laughs) So (laughs) I wonder if that was the thing that Elon and Tim talked about. Only they know, really. But what I saw, for example, with Parler, right, where they also booted Parler from the store Apple... There were some emails that leaked between Parler and Apple that where they were like, "You need to improve your moderation," and it was very vague. And that's the thing with Apple is these threats are always vague. And so, yes, after meeting with Cook, Elon tweeted uh, that there was a misunderstanding about the threat to pull Twitter from the App Store. But maybe Apple was just saying, you know, your relaunch of Blue, we may not approve it until you fix X for us, right? Actually think that that's more likely. They usually hold, as Matt talked about, things up in review for arbitrary amounts of time because of other non-related issues. So that's one piece, right? Just
2: the similarity between Tumblr and Twitter here is very much dealing with your gatekeepers to distribution, in this case Apple. Matt was actually much more complimentary toward Google than I expected, my impression has always been that the two app stores are largely the same. And he was like, no, Google's pretty easy to work with. So at some point, the two big gatekeepers exist and you have to manage them. We've seen Tumblr's had its challenges and we've seen Elon run into the challenges. Then there's what they're actually trying to build towards, which is remarkable how similar they are. Right? They want to get away from a pure dependence on advertising. They want to launch paid consumer products like Twitter Blue. Tumblr has tipping. Tumblr actually has fake verified badges which is like very funny one of the funniest social media products in years how is that going for twitter right like this stutter step towards twitter blue exists but for tumblr it's a much smaller company and network so they can move the numbers on the revenue much more easily twitter is bigger it's not the biggest but it's bigger and it's like 85 percent of the revenue is advertising and it's it has to make money you know elon has to pay debt whereas Matt told us Tumblr is still losing like $20 million a year. How hard is it going to be for Twitter to pull this off?
3: It's going to be incredibly hard. I mean, they have to really identify what people like us will pay the most for. And yes, Twitter was experimenting with subscriptions before Musk came in, but it was languishing as a product. And I was a subscriber. I didn't feel like I was getting much value out of it. And I would be curious to know if Tumblr is the same way has this weird effect where a very very small percent of the users produce most of the content so those are the people that you could extract the most money from right because they're doing that for a reason right it's because they're getting something in return where can you chart that value and and how can you make that into something they'll pay for so yeah you're right that it's harder for twitter because they have this existing multi-billion Advertising business that Musk really needs to pay the bills and to pay back the interest on the largest leverage buyout that any individual has ever done. I'm not sure that they can do it because what we've seen is that, guess what? Advertisers want a certain level of brand safety and moderation that so far Twitter under Musk has not been able to provide. It sounds like Matt has realized for Tumblr. It's going to make more sense to not be reliant on advertising. I don't know if it's for that reason, but, you know, there's also just this element of this where the scaled ad play on social, it's, it's kind of over. Even Meta, you know, is working on paid products now for its apps for Instagram and Facebook. I don't really see any of the more upstart social companies focusing on a scaled ad play. I think we're past that era.
2: What about the payment side of it? They're all talking about payments. They want to be able to make you send money to other people on the network. It seems like what if a bunch of people are sending money around and we took cents out of every transaction? I get why you'd be interested in that, but it is also like the most boring product for a social network. And also I don't know that I want to be sending money on 50 different platforms.
3: It depends if you have a thriving creator system where creators are posting more content and asking for payment. Um, maybe you do want to have money in the system. Elon is obsessed with recreating his original idea for X, which predated PayPal. He told employees in a in a meeting recently that I reported on that, you know, PayPal was just phase one of what he actually wanted to do, and he has every aspiration and intention to uh, complete this project X, uh, as he calls it, with Twitter, which is turn it into a bank, and no <laughs> one's done that successfully. So if I were to stack rank all these insane challenges he has ahead of him, that one just seems so lofty and also hard, and like you have to have all these other things figured out first before you get there. So I don't know when that ever happens or if it ever happens, but I think for Twitter to be the hundred-plus-billion-dollar market cap exit that it needs to be for him to uh, make good on the investors who put hundreds of millions of dollars into this this buyout. He needs to have more than just Twitter's current ads business. So it's payments. That's all there is.
2: I mean, that was gonna be a final question. Is there anything else? Is it okay? I saw a good tweet. I'm gonna kick a couple bucks towards the person who wrote the tweet. I mean, that's the
3: that's the baseline of it. But I don't. I'm not sure why I would do that. I don't know. Put it on the blockchain and uh, <laughs> cut it's gas fees all the way down. I mean, no, that's it, right? You have ads or you have some version of payment slash subscription. And Musk has been very clear that Twitter needs to be at least 50% subscription, or he thinks it won't survive what he thinks will be a very painful recession that will affect ad spend uh, next year. He's been very clear about this in multiple internal meetings lately. He's probably got pretty good economic data in front of him, people telling him what to expect. So I got to give some level of, of credibility to that fear. I do think... The future of social is increasingly subscription, whether Twitter figures it out or Tumblr figures it out or Meta figures it out. We're seeing it across the creator economy, right? It's Everyone wants that direct relationship and to not be disintermediated by an advertiser. At the same time, though, <laughs> Twitter's always going to have Apple as that intermediary until uh, something happens there.
2: Yeah, the, the the Musk-Apple relationship right now appears to have played out as... He tweeted angry things about Apple and in-app purchases and free speech and Apple reducing its ad spend. He went to the Apple campus. They had some sort of conversation. Musk told employees in a public Twitter space that Apple's spend was all the way back up, and he has stopped complaining about the 30% fee. So he's just going to spend Apple's ad dollars right back to Apple. It's that's pretty funny. Like, that's like kind of like hilarious that the money is just going in a circle.
3: It's good to be the platform, right? I mean, this is Apple's bread and butter is extracting this money out of the apps that sit on top of its phone. I'm curious, like when Matt was talking about this, does he feel like Apple deserves this money? Did you get that indication from him?
2: I get the indication that every CEO knows that there's a line and they are willing to walk right up to that line. And the line for Matt is clearly farther than most other CEOs that I talk to. And they are not willing to go over that line. And so Matt is willing to say Apple has a lot of power and they hold us up in reviews and we get it because there's nipples on Tumblr. And we're like, we, you know, they recreated a system to allow nudity on Tumblr by putting toggles on the web. And they're like, this complies with Apple. And he's willing to talk about that. I don't think he's willing to go one step farther because Apple can destroy his business. And I, like over and over again on this show, we discover the line of what CEOs are going to say about Apple. Um, <laughs> and I think that's just like utterly fascinating. And I think the thing with Elon that is fascinating is he does that line does not exist for him. No. Right? He, he'll just say whatever he wants. And I, to some extent, that has been very illuminating throughout this entire process.
3: Yeah. I think what Elon showed is that the conversation is shifting from Apple's control is a business issue for everyone to it's actually a speech issue. And we're seeing Tim Sweeney and other CEOs kind of pile on this. And I think this is the next phase that if Ron DeSantis and Elon are saying that you're you know threatening free speech, you may have a problem that you need to combat, even if it's just a PR one. And I'm not sure Apple is equipped to engage with that level of, of attacking.
2: I think they're ready for it. Yeah.
3: I think that's like
2: what they're going to show is look at these apps. They're full of bad things that you don't want your kids to see. And we sit in the middle and make sure that. Your kids don't see that stuff and if you want to see that stuff go use our web
3: browser and i think
2: that's like fundamentally been their answer for a long time
3: iphone the uh the phone for good parents everywhere <laughs>
2: uh, it's their brand uh this leads us right into content moderation which matt and i talked about at length with elon is trying to re start from first principles at twitter for better or worse uh, we can talk about the twitter files at some length if you want to Matt's point was he's going to end up right back at the beginning. And he said several times in this conversation, and I, I found this striking because Matt is a good CEO. He is a long tenured, extremely well-regarded, extremely effective CEO in Silicon Valley who makes a product that millions of, of customers use. And he's like, this has been the most humbling experience of my career spying Tumblr. And part of it, and a huge part of it is the content moderation piece. His perspective is that he is a very libertarian leaning person when it comes to what people are allowed to say, even if on some other issues he, he's uh, more to the left. But he's like, as on a speech, I'm libertarian. And to run Tumblr, I can't do that. We have to shut a bunch of stuff down. And he brought up lawful but awful and all these sort of tropes that we hear from the trust and safety community. And he he, he was like, Elon is going to rapidly find out that he's going to start somewhere and he's going to end up right back where, where Twitter began. Mm-hmm. And I think the Twitter files are somewhat of an exercise in this. Mm -hmm. Like Elon is out there saying it's freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. And then the Twitter files are Twitter implementing exactly that idea in various ways to like a first approximation. Do you think Elon is going to end up right back where he started? Or do you think he's going to end up someplace radically different?
3: He's not there right now. So right now, the, the mantra inside Twitter is essentially like you could say the most hateful thing, right? And unless it's illegal... It's going to be on the site, but our job now is to not amplify it. So not to suggest it in the timeline. So basically corner that speech off to the follower graph of that account. As Matt told you, that's, that's a very nice libertarian view of speech and how it should work. It's not how an ad-supported platform can function, at least that I've seen at scale. And Elon, his head of trust and safety the people implementing this stuff, they're not there yet. I know this for a fact. So will it take the advertiser, you know, business of Twitter completely crumbling for them to realize that? I don't know. But right now, their baseline for success is we are not amplifying hateful, racist, misogynistic tweets, and we're not putting them next to ads. And if we can do that and That hasn't happened yet, but that's what they want. Then they think they will be adhering to their freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach principle. And no platform has shown that that's enough. Also, like, who wants to be on a platform with bad people? Like, that's
2: like the weird part to me. And I, it's funny because even to some extent, overt racism, overt sexism, overt transphobia, overt uh, Matt brought up the pro Anna community which is like anorexia is good. All that stuff is pe- on the, on the whole people are like, yeah, that stuff is bad. Then there's like a lot of stuff in the gray area. It, even the stuff that people agree is bad. Like people don't want to be in platforms where that stuff is prolific. And so if you want, need to grow the user base and like have payments, don't you need to do more than wallet off? Do not you need to just like make it go away?
3: You would think, especially if your goal is to be the town square, it turns out, like, if you put, if you actually think about the digital representation of what an actual town square would look like, it's not a good place to be in, right? It's, <laughs> it's everyone in the in the town in one square yelling at each other, which is kind of what Twitter has already been. But they have been trying to get rid of the worst voices, and I think honestly, doing it in an earnest way, uh, in a way that seems measured based on the own internal correspondence that Elon has had his friends uh, try to disseminate with the Twitter files. And maybe that's what's going to have to be discovered, is that this whole town square concept just doesn't work because humans don't actually want that. Twitter
2: files, you said they've been disseminated by Elon. It's unclear how they're being generated or vetted. There's a lot of question marks there. What they show, what what has been publicly revealed, basically shows like well-meaning people earnestly debating difficult decisions and arriving at some conclusions. Maybe you disagree with that entirely. Maybe you think they're not well-meaning. Maybe you think that's a a shadowy liberal conspiracy. You can't really disagree with, yeah, they're talking about hard decisions and then reaching a conclusion and talking about how to justify their conclusion, right? Then there's this concept of like shadow banning and limiting your reach. And what you just described is exactly that. Right. We're going to detect the content of your tweets and make sure we don't show them to anyone. And maybe you will know. Maybe they'll be more transparent about it. But they're going to limit you because they don't like how racist you are. That is like a very qualitative, very difficult kind of judgment. It's I don't think that you can automate it. Do you have any sense of how they will actually implement that?
3: no and they don't know i mean they hope to automate the worst of the worst but you're right there's so much nuance and tone there's there's no platform that's doing this automated deamplification of like nuanced uh potentially sarcastic but hateful speech at scale and it's yeah i think it's deeply ironic that as he's tweeting freedom of speech not freedom of reach he's having these kind of cherry picked files be dumped showing them doing exactly that <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the the new Twitter 2.0, the hardcore Twitter, he's trying to make a point that that will continue, but it won't be politically motivated. I guess that's the insinuation that the people before were doing this because of their political leanings. I think there is some cringe stuff that uh, former Twitter execs did and tweeted about that showed leanings that they shouldn't have exposed in that way. But it's the same thing. It's just like he's saying, I'm going to keep doing this. I guess, but you like me, so therefore it's going to be okay.
2: Yeah. There's a real, once you're the head of a social network, you're the benevolent dictator, whether you want to be or not. And I think Elon's like, screw it, I'll just be the dictator. In a way that, for example, Jack Dorsey tried not didn't to be. want to. Yeah. right. Almost for worse, though.
3: I mean, like he, he tried too hard to not be involved, right? And like, we're seeing that now where it's like, where was Jack? That's a whole nother tangent, though. Yeah. Anything else you picked up from uh, the conversation with Matt that you think is applicable to Twitter? I mean, you know, the files, the Twitter files have centered on, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And I thought it was fascinating to hear Matt talk about how, A, I didn't know they hosted New York Post, but that they even debated potentially pulling that. And when you think about the ramifications and the power of like where you sit in the stack and the content decisions you make, we haven't even really, I think, as Uh, as a culture come to reckon with that and what a company like WordPress could do that is arguably even more of a powerful thing than taking down a tweet of a story, right? So just I think the more we can do to peel back how these companies actually deliberate and either almost or don't do something like that, it's, it's important. And, um, that's the closest I can come to agreeing with how the Twitter files are being handled is that like, I agree with the core nut of that idea. The way it's being done is not great, but I'm glad Matt talked about that because that shows these discussions that happen that we don't really know about that could really impact speech on the internet.
2: Yeah. And these platform companies, if you host a major American newspaper, you should probably treat them differently than if it's something else. And I, I, those decisions are not transparent to us. No, and I don't even know if they're transparent to the New York post or whatever. Uh, I did. I thought that was really remarkably telling. And also I think brave of Matt for saying as the provider, as the CMS provider, of the New York, New York post, we have the ability to take their links down. We actually talked about it in the case of the story. I do think it is important for everyone to remember now we're like deep in the Hunter, but like, you can just like get Hunter Biden's laptop if you want it. Like Apple sells it in the store. Um, Like there was a time when like no one understood the provenance of the laptop and no one understood what was on it. And mostly it was a bunch of non-consensual nudes being shared. And like people thought that this was a Russian operation, like the overheatedness of that moment probably led to that conversation. But it is also remarkable for that conversation, the, the technical capability of that conversation even exists.
3: And that we're still talking about it. And I guess it's, it's because it's such an uncomfortable thing that could have happened and did happen on Twitter. But it's this – we realize like, whoa, in the, in the heat of a moment when something's super political, we actually have these platforms that sit at various layers of the stack that have tremendous power to literally just wipe that off of the internet. And what happens if they actually do? And it's fascinating to me that as a CEO of WordPress, he wasn't
2: like, that was the most humbling moment of my career. He's (laughs) like, the CEO, being the CEO of Tumblr, owning Tumblr is the most humbling part of my career because then you have a mass of users. You have this unpredictable millions of users doing whatever they want and you have to somehow control
3: them. You should start just mailing Welcome to Hell as like a PDF to every tech CEO (laughs) that runs a a social site. Uh, Matt told me he liked
2: the piece. That is, it was very validating. He told me he didn't like the headline. <laughs> uh, all right. That's been, this has been a fascinating episode. I I am curious to see how fast Elon comes back around to sort of the baseline of operating a social network. Because you know, Matt's a smart guy. Zuck, for all of his <laughs> faults, is like a very smart person. And he's arrived at a place that looks a lot like the place Twitter was at. And so... If the constraints are such that all these smart people sort of arrive at the same spot, it's, it'll, it's just going to be curious to see if Elon arrives at that same kind of general position in the end.
3: If he doesn't, I don't see how Twitter has an advertising business. Those are going to be the two kind of, that's the two sides, I think. For sure.
2: All right, Alex, thank you so much for coming on Decoder. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Mullenweg and Alex Heath for taking the time to be on Decoder today. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at, decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. And as many of you have discovered, if you tweet at me about Decoder, I will almost certainly retweet you. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. It was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jack McDermott. It was edited by Kelly Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. And our executive director is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.
3: More
0: to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.